0: and turn with me to Luke chapter 9. This will be the last time for a while that we'll be in Luke's Gospel. But I want to go there today for a very significant message for us. Uh, there is a, or There was a German philosopher whose name was Schleiermacher. Now, I've got to tell you, I like him only because his name is fun to say. Schleiermacher. And uh, he, he was one of those philosophers who, deeply impacted 20th century thought. If you're not sure about a philosopher and what that is, theologians for a long time have kind of poked fun at philosophers or um, maybe that's the best way to say it. And so one of the ways a theologian explained a philosopher was he was a guy who was in a pitch black room looking for a black cat. Not to be outdone, the philosopher fired back a theologian is one who is in a pitch black room looking for a black cat and claims that he found it. So that's kind of the background here. But uh, Schleiermacher is one of those philosophers that uh, has impacted our thought. And uh, I don't know if you've ever known a true philosopher. Uh, I had the... Uh, well, I started to say the privilege. I don't know that I would call it that. I, I went to school with some guys who claimed to be philosophers. Okay, they're the heady guys who are always in the corner, you know, mumbling to themselves and gazing out into space. You know, they, they just most of the time didn't relate well with real people. Um, and Schleiermacher was a little bit like that, apparently, because one day he was at a city park. And uh, he had been there for a while, and it's kind of one of those deals where he's just sitting there, taking up space, gazing off into space, and you know his mind is working a million miles a second while he's doing that. But he had caught the attention of a police officer, and this officer watched him long enough to figure something was up, and so he wandered over to him, and he sat down next to him, and he looked at Schleiermacher, and the policeman said to him, who are you? And Schleiermacher's response, immediate response was, I wish I knew. Now that's a philosophical kind of an answer, but it captures something for us that we need to get a hold of. Today we're going to finish this five-session mini-series that we've been looking at in Luke's gospel in the section from chapter 7 through chapter 9. Luke continues to put on the lips of people, who is this guy named Jesus? Today's the last of those, so take your Bibles Luke chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 18 through 20 first. And let's just read what that says. And now it happened that as he was praying alone, that is Jesus, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? So all of this stretch for Luke where he's put that question, who is Jesus or who is this guy in various ways, uh, on the lips of the disciples at one point and on the lips of Herod at another point and in various places we've seen that as it's grown through. Now Jesus himself poses the question, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. I want us to take this passage now and let's kind of unpack it a little bit because there's three primary questions that I think beg for answers as we come through this passage. Here's the first one. If the question is, who is this guy? What is the correct answer? Now, Simon Peter gives us the correct answer here. It is a significant thing. Now, we've seen the correct answer also on the lips of the demoniac as the demons inside of him identify who Jesus is. But the people around him haven't quite gotten a hold of that. Simon Peter answers the question. It is the correct answer. You are the Christ of God. It is a significant statement wrapped up in all of that is It's a quantum leap, really, for these guys, these disciples, Let's take, for instance, the the, uh, the names that are thrown out to the first question. John the Baptist. Well, we know the story of John the Baptist. We saw that as we worked our way through the early part of Luke's gospel. He's the forerunner. Well, but see, that means something to us, but that would have meant a lot more to that Jewish audience of Jesus' day. A prophet, one of the prophets of old, especially this guy, Elijah. And so they attach all of these I'll use one of those $4 words now, the eschatological hopes of Israel. As they look towards the end, they start identifying Jesus with those names and those functions that have something to do with the announcement of that. Through Luke's gospel, we've seen Jesus as a teacher. And some people identify him, like the Pharisee, as a rabbi. We've seen him as a miracle worker, and he's raised the dead to life. He's exercised demons. He's done all of these things, healing from a distance. Clearly, the crowds of that time understood there was something different about Jesus. So they don't treat him like some ordinary run-of-the-mill kind of guy, but they assign these titles to him and these perceptions. And as okay as they might be, they're still wrong. Well, one guy said, it's not that they're totally wrong. It's just that they're incomplete. Well, the problem is he's not John the Baptist. That's important. We'll get to that in just a second. The Christ, as Simon Peter identifies him, is a huge statement. Because in that Jewish mindset of the first century, Messiah, Christos is the title that is used here, is the one who is sent by God. He's the guy that they were looking for who would come in. Those other prophets just announced the Messiah's coming. This guy, the Messiah, as, in, as they saw him in their mind, would be the one who would come riding in on a white horse, swinging the sword of judgment, bring Israel to their rightful place among the nations, which in their mind was to be above all, crush the iron boot of the Roman Empire. Simon Peter uses a title for for Jesus here that far supersedes those inadequate explanations from other people. You are the Christ of God. Superior in office, superior in function, it is a significant title that he gives. You notice, ever notice in your life that Jesus has a way of asking Hard questions. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but I have a personal assistant. Uh, now the finance committee's going. Wait a minute! I hadn't seen this in the budget. What are you talking about, personal assistant? Yeah, I have in my phone here a personal assistant, and so I took this question to my personal assistant, Siri. Who is Jesus? Siri has nothing to say. Actually, Siri does have something to say. If you have an iPhone and you go to your personal assistant that you carry around with you all the time, what you will find is, um, oh, now, see, they're looking in my contacts. No one in your contact list is named Jesus. <laughs> You're wrong! <laughs> if you have an iPhone, I encourage you, if you can get her not to look in your contact list. By the way, I turned my ringer off and some of you smart locks are going to call my phone up here. Um, Earlier this week, I took that out. I said, Siri, who is Jesus? And it took me, Siri did, my personal assistant, took me to Wikipedia. You understand Wikipedia? If you're doing real research, don't use Wikipedia, okay? Wikipedia is, let me put it in, in a um, an educator's kind of language. Wikipedia is pooled ignorance, all right? It is this based in fact kind of thing where anybody can kind of chime in and you know, I think they may have some checks and balances on it now, but uh, the idea is that anybody can come in and weigh in on who this is, which makes it a perfect way for me to ask this question. In our day and a uh, day in, wow. In our day and age, who is Jesus? If you go to that circle of people that God has strategically placed you into so that you might take the good news of Jesus Christ to them? How do those people answer the question, who is Jesus? So it's, it's only fitting that Siri, the programmed assistant into iPhones, takes us to, to answer that question, to Wikipedia, which gives us the broad spectrum of what people in our world had to say about Jesus. Let me just give you a few of those answers from Wikipedia. Jesus, now listen very carefully. This is one of those you need to listen with both ears and the whole brain, okay? Because there's stuff that's between the lines here that we need to get. These are not good theological answers. It's Wikipedia, after all. Here's what they say. Virtually, and I'm reading, okay? So this is a quote. Virtually all modern scholars... What's between the lines of that? Not everybody, okay? Virtually all modern scholars of antiquity agree that Jesus existed historically. Let's stop for a second. What does that say? Most scholars, historical scholars, believe that Jesus really did exist. But what's written between the lines? Everybody doesn't believe that. Okay, So when the question of our day is, who do people say that Jesus is? Some people are saying, he's a figment of your imagination. But let me keep reading, because that was just a comma, not a period. It goes on to say, although the quest for the historical Jesus has produced little agreement on the historical reality of the Gospels, what does that say? Are you with me? In other words... They're saying that if you go to dig on this a little bit, everybody doesn't agree that Jesus historically existed at all. Now, I'm going to get to a a key statement about all this in a minute. So don't get your Baptist hackles up and miss what I'm trying to establish here. Okay? What I'm trying to get us to do is hear what people out there say about Jesus, the one we just got through spending 30 minutes singing about. They're not even sure he exists. And even if he did exist, uh, how do we put all of that together? Okay, so we go on to say, and how closely the biblical Jesus reflects the historical Jesus. In other words, if there really was a guy named Jesus, we're not really sure that what we hear about him in the Bible fits who he really was. That's a statement from secular world 2014. Some say he was a Jewish rabbi. Good enough. I'll buy that. But he was more than that. Others say the leader of an apocalyptic movement. That's what I was talking about a minute ago. I'll buy that, at least in some measure. Some say he was Messiah. Some say he was just a charismatic healer. Others say he was a sage or a philosopher. And some even say that he was nothing more than a social reformer. Who do people say that I am? Jesus has a way of asking the hard questions. That's the easy one, actually. It doesn't take a whole lot of personal investment to answer that question. Matter of fact, all it takes is just a little bit of digging, and Apple has made it easy for us not even really have to do the digging. We just, one com- comment in a program like that, it brings us an answer, and we can see what people say about who Jesus is. Now, I know we live in the Bible Belt, or at least part of it, We have our own sensibilities, and even the people that you work with and some of the people in your family circles and all that kind of stuff, they might give a pretty decent answer about who Jesus is, but Jesus gives us the hard question. It's not who do people say that I am. That's the easy one. Who do you say that I am? That's the problem for us. I know some of you sitting out there going, that's not hard at all, preacher. That's not hard at all. We agree with Peter. He is the Christ of God. Well, before you get too solid in that position, let me show you why I think that's a hard question. He drops it squarely in our laps. Who do you say that I am? You know many people in our world today are blinded, especially by truth. Or maybe I should say blinded to the truth. There was a guy who years ago, now see, in our day and age, right now, uh, we are having this national debate, maybe it's not even a debate anymore, I don't know, but this this move towards the legalization of marijuana, okay? Now, if you don't know what that is and the ramifications of that, just stay tuned because it's going to be playing out, not just in Colorado and where you'd expect it up in the Pacific Northwest, it's coming to a state near you before it's all said and done. And in that long process through the years of this debate about whether marijuana should be legal or not, there have been these minor skirmishes that happen in the living rooms all across America. And I know of this guy who was busted by his mother holding marijuana, okay? That's another way of saying he had some marijuana with him, his mom caught him. And so his mother was pushing him at the point of good Christian people. The mom said, what are you doing here? Don't you know that's illegal? And I said to my mom, I mean, he said to her, (laughs) I don't think it ought to be illegal. To which she said very wisely, this lady said, it doesn't matter whether you think it ought to be legal or not. It is illegal.'" Does that make sense? It didn't make sense to me when I was 18 years old. I just thought she was nuts like everybody else who thought it ought to be illegal. Here's my point from all of that. Answers of truth are never a matter of public opinion. Now, let me make sure you get that one, okay? Because that is a truth that spreads through the entire part of your life and especially when it comes to what people say Or who people say Jesus is. Just because there is a social referendum on a particular point of reference doesn't mean that their opinion automatically makes it right. Now we need to hang on to that in America today because there are a lot of things that are coming down the pike for us that for us, some of us, Southeast Texas Christians, we hear them and we go, whoa, how could anybody believe that? And the answer is most everybody's believing that these days. So the question really doesn't need to be what do other people think about it. The question needs to be what's right? Where's the truth in this? I'm coming back to these people and what they're saying here. These people are saying of Jesus, well, he's John the Baptist. Let me tell you something. That's a pretty high compliment in the overall stretch of Jewish history. John the Baptist was a singular figure, the perfect point in time, according to Scripture, and he comes in with a specific purpose, which is to usher in the age of the Messiah, to be called John the Baptist for them, and they may not have seen him as that, but they certainly had respect for him, according to what we find in Scripture. Well, Herod didn't, but most of them did. These people identified Jesus in different ways and they were wrong. But in their minds, they were right. And in our day and age, we will find people who will be certain that just because it's their opinion, it must be right. My dad used to say, and some of you have heard me say it lately because I remembered he used to say it. It's only my opinion, but I am quite fond of it. We're all like that, okay? If you're not fond of your opinion, you need to do some soul searching. But the reality is, who Jesus is, it's not a matter of opinion. It is, a, it is a fact of God, okay? Simon Peter gets that. You are the Christ of God. So the first question here, if the question is, who is this guy? That's what Luke has been asking for us over three chapters stretch now. The correct answer is Simon Peter says he is the Christ of God. And in case there was any doubt in Simon Peter's mind, just a few verses after this, you find the account of the transfiguration. I'm not going to take the time to go into that, but they go up. Jesus takes these three disciples with him. They go up on top of the mountain, and there Jesus is transfigured before them. And Simon Peter goes, wow. Wow. The hard question is, who do you say that I am? Let's get to the second question. I guess maybe before we finish that, the real question for you is, who do you say Jesus is? And many of us, maybe most of us, perhaps all of us in here would say, well, he's the Christ of God. We agree with Simon Peter. Okay, let's make sure that we really do, make sure that we're saying what we think we're saying when we agree with that. Second question is, why does it matter? as it relates to who Jesus is, why does it really matter? Well, here's the basic. If Jesus is only the the one that these people have identified him to be, John the Baptist reincarnated, by the way, that didn't happen, or Elijah reincarnated, and that doesn't happen, or maybe he is just a teacher, a rabbi. Maybe he is a great miracle worker. Let's take Wikipedia. Maybe he is just a social reformer. You see, the problem with those inadequate answers is that if Jesus is only those kind of people, he makes no claims on us. Okay, I don't have to do what he says if he's just another guy. Let me put it in our terminology, okay? He, these, saying he's one of these is not much different than saying, well, he's the pastor of such and such a church down there. It's a little more progressed than that, but not a whole lot. So if he's only that then he doesn't make claims that I have to worry about. He's just a guy that God uses. And so I can take or leave him. But the reality is that he's not just those guys. He is the Christ of God. He's the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. Our theology says, settled many centuries ago, he is 100% man and 100% what? God. Now, our minds have trouble with that. He's the only 200% man who ever lived, but he's God in the flesh. And if that's true, and it is, if that's true, then that puts us into a crisis of decision. What do I do with this guy? If he is, in fact, the God-man, what does that mean to me? If he's just John the Baptist or some prophet or something like that, I can take or leave. I can take what he says. I can leave what he says. But if he is, in fact, who Simon Peter says he is, then I have to make a decision. What do I do with this guy? <laughs> uh, that, that puts us into something of a dilemma here. I, I think I want to speak into 21st century Christianity with this little warning now. If Jesus really is, if you really believe that he is the Christ of God, okay? Remember what I said. Whether you believe it or not doesn't change the fact that it is. Truth is truth, and that's who he is. But if you really believe that, then you cannot treat him like he's one of the boys. I think 21st century Christianity has a problem with this. I think we get real casual in the way we treat Jesus. We throw his name around. We do things with him that are really um, pretty disrespectful if we really believe he is who he says he is. Let me see if I can put this in a different terminology for you. Um, years ago, I used to play a lot of golf tournaments, uh, not because I was any good, but I was friends with a guy who liked to play golf tournaments, okay? He wasn't any good either. Neither one of us were any good, and so it was throwing money away most of the time for him to enter us. His company entered us in these golf tournaments, and we would play them, but he was smart enough, ran a successful business. He was smart enough to get a ringer. Does that make sense for you to understand the term ringer? Uh, because I was playing, and he was playing, our chances of winning were zero, so he went out and he got this guy who could shoot lights out in his sleep. I mean, this guy's the best golfer I've ever seen. And he played on our team. And we won golf sets, I mean, club sets and all kinds. We, we did great because of him. So we were playing this one, <laughs> I was playing this one tournament. And one of the things that you got to know, uh, as a pastor playing golf, I don't ever tell anybody that I'm a pastor unless they just flat up ask me, what do you do for a living, okay? The reason for that is because t- people start treating me like I have leprosy if I say that. Okay? It's amazing to watch people because they start thinking, what have I been saying? So in this particular golf tournament, um, it was three-man teams, and they made two teams play together because they wanted, you know, they knew each team was going to cheat. And so we kept the other team's score, and they kept our score, Right? Well, if it's a three-man team and those golf carts are made for two people, that means that one golf cart has one guy from each team. And so in this tournament, that was me. I was the lone guy from our team in this golf cart. They paired me with another guy. He was the lone team from that, or lone guy from that other team. And so we spent the day riding in a cart together. And we were on the 11th hole. I remember it like it was yesterday. I could take you to the exact spot where this occurred. Because in the midst of it, he had never asked me what I did for a living. I found that interesting because everybody sooner or later got around to that. We were over halfway through. This guy hadn't asked me that yet, so I decided to break the ice. I said to him, what do you do for a living? And he never looked at me. He just kept driving. He said, I'm an FBI agent. Oh, my goodness. Now, you got to remember, I haven't always been a pastor. All right? (laughs) So now I'm thinking... No wonder he didn't ask me what I do for a living. He already knows. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. There was a part of me, my old life, if I'd have known there was an FBI guy on the golf course, I'd have left town. Okay? And here I've been riding with this guy all day long. And in my head, everything changed about that. As long as I didn't know what he did, we talked, we cut up, you know, all of that. Well, he didn't cut up, he was like stiff. There, there's something about us. When we're dealing, we see people as our peers, we can relax, we can be ourselves, we talk freely, we act like we act. We get around somebody who has a little bit of authority or a little bit of superiority as far as positions in life and we tend to go formal on them. You ever notice that? Get around somebody who has some kind of station, you know, a city public official of some kind, something like that, and we tend to get a little more formal. I get that a lot as a pastor when I wear my suit, which I don't do very often because I don't like people treating me like I'm, you know, different. So, I want you to forecast from that, forecast backwards. How do you treat Jesus, really? I really do think that 21st century American Christianity has a problem with being a little too casual with Jesus. He is the Christ of God, He's not one of the boys. He loves you and he'll get right down on the bottom shelf of your life with you. He'll get muddy with you. He'll do all of those kinds of things and he'll get down in your garbage to pull you out of it. But he's not one of the boys. We should never forget or diminish the person of Jesus. He is the Christ that has to carry weight with us. But here's the deal with us, and this is why I kind of tried to get you to be really careful about how you say, I believe that he is the Christ, because if he is in fact that person, the Christ, then he has every right to make demands of us. He has every right to have expectations of those of us who follow him as the Christ. You see why it's different? If he was just a prophet... He can't make demands on us. He's just God using him just like he uses me in other places. I don't have to do what he says. But when he's the Christ, he can say, jump. And my first response is, okay, I'm after it. But the problem with that is we like to pick and choose the directives. I run into this all the time in church. Jesus says, this is how you live. Love one another. And yet, as Christian people, we dissect one another with our tongues. Well, you know, Jesus, it's just, it's just not convenient right now. with well, Jesus, if you knew that sorry scoundrel, you'd know why I do this. No. He's the Christ. He has every right to make demands of us, his people. You want to to see just how systemic this problem is with us, picking and choosing? I know you don't do this, okay? So I'm not talking about you, but here's my challenge to you. Spend the week watching how other people drive. I always love coming back to this because I can... I can say the word drive in church and people go, oh, throwing elbows. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Okay, so just spend a week watching other people drive and watch how they pick and choose which driving laws they're going to keep and which ones they're not. I'm telling you, this is just, what is, if you want to change lanes while you're driving, what are you supposed to do? Well, just turn. You know, I had a friend in college. I mean, well, he actually, well, He's my roommate for a long time, and he's one of my getting-in-trouble buddies. Uh, he always drove old, beat-up cars. You know why? He says, I can merge anywhere in traffic. People move because they look at my car, and they know I don't care what happens to it. <laughs> you know, when I took my driving test years, many, many, many years ago, my initial driving test. By the way, that was a time in my life that highway patrolman got in the car with me. <laughs> oh, that was not a comfortable thing for me back then. You know what I got graded down? I passed my driving test. but You know what I got graded down for in driving? I didn't check my mirrors every six seconds. I didn't know you are supposed to check your mirrors. I don't even think it's a law, but it was for him, and so he graded me down on it. Watch people and see how many laws they choose not to obey when they're driving. This is a systemic problem for us. The sin nature that is ours that says, Okay, Jesus, you can be a rabbi, but you're not going to be God because you and I both know that I'm going to be God today. But see, this gets real personal this admission of who Jesus is. Verses 21 and 22 kind of ramp this up for us. Jesus gets to call the shots. Verses 21 and 22, immediately after Simon Peter says that, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. That in itself is a little bit, what? What? But then he goes on and he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Here's what Jesus does. This confession of Jesus as Messiah, a huge statement for a Jew in the first century. Jesus immediately says... Things are not going to be the way you expect them to be. This is the first, if I count them right, 11 different times between now and the end of Luke's gospel that Jesus says to those disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. They didn't expect the Messiah to die. He was supposed to be the ones to come in and make everything right. He's not going to, you're not going to die. Remember another place Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Simon Peter. Jesus takes their expectations let me put it in terms of this sermon. These takes their attempts to make him be what they wanted him to be, and he says to them, It ain't gonna be that way. Because after all, you're not the Christ. I am. So let me give you a couple of illustrations and I'll cut to the chase for the whole sermon. I have a friend who is, I suppose, one of the most successful businessmen that I've ever known. This guy thinks at about a 1,000 miles a second, and he's talking with his mouth fast, usually, and he's thinking three steps down the road of what he's going to do or say next. I've learned so much from this guy about how just to handle business. Um, And years ago, in our discussions and my relationship with him as one of my friends, he told me, he said, man, I'm so busy. He runs a multinational company. And so he was talking about stuff. He said, I am so busy. I have so much going on. I'm going to have to hire a personal assistant. And I'm not talking about Siri. I'm talking about a real live person that was just there to handle his stuff. Stuff like, you know, I need you to call the school because my kid needs whatever or I need you to go run this errand or whatever. This person that he hired was his personal assistant in the truest sense of the word. Everything he needed done, he could just say to that person, get it done and they had to go do it. Take that picture and put it on your perception of Jesus Christ. How often do you treat Jesus as if he is your personal assistant? Jesus, I need you to handle this for me, whatever this happens to be. You know, I got this dead gum income tax bill I need you to handle that. I need, what do we need? We need cash. The reality is that many Christian people live their lives treating Jesus, not like he's Messiah, not like he's Christ, but like he's number two. Do my stuff. I'll tell you another friend of mine that we had. This guy was a pharmacist. He also was a deacon in the church that I served at the time. Salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. Loved him to death. But one of the things that he said to us when we got there, we had young children, and he said, Look, I know with kids, medicine can be expensive. He said, You need something, you come see me. Right? Okay. Because we had kids who were sick all the time. So we'd go see him, and he'd say, "Here, Yeah, you know, i got this sample, whatever. Uh, now, he's dead, so if you're with the FDA and you're thinking, I'm going to go investigate this guy, he's gone. Okay, um, But he... I, he said to me one time, some guys in our church were going to take me offshore fishing. He said, do you have trouble getting uh, seasick? I said, I don't know. I've never been offshore. He said, you probably should come get some medicine because it's pretty bad. Okay, yeah, whatever, you know, because I didn't need him, right? So I went offshore, got on this boat with these guys, and we went <laughs> We went way offshore. I mean, to the point, you know, you, we were about 50 miles offshore, okay? That's a long ways in a big ocean and a little bitty boat. And I was sick. Oh, I was sick. I was so bad that I said, if you'll pull up to that oil rig over there, I will jump overboard and swim to it. I don't want to be on this boat for another second. We got back. (laughs) And he caught me at church the next day. And he said, "Uh, how'd that go? I said, I was sick, man. I still feel sick from yesterday. You know, when they called me to go fishing again a few months later, the first phone call I made when I got on phone with them was to my pharmacist friend, saying, hey, "Amen, I need some of that medicine you're talking about. Now how often do we do that with Jesus? We get a little bit of a bunion or we get a little bit of a sniffle. We get a little bit uncomfortable and we call our personal pharmacist named Jesus and say, hey, fill in for me here. I think we get a little too casual with Jesus. We try to make him into one. He's just not going to be. I'm going to say it this way. Brian made a reference to it earlier. Jesus refuses to be crammed into your little God box. He's not the God of a box. He is Christ of God. And he's got plans for you. Let me tell you his plans for you. Verse 23, and he said to all, if any would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Take up his cross daily is a statement of death. Those people of the first century would have recognized that as a Roman tool for execution. It was a death thing. It wasn't nice on a necklace or as a decor in a church or a home. Jesus says, because I'm the Christ and I'm not one of the boys, I will tell you, if you want to follow me, in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, come and die. I spend time as a pastor in cemeteries. It's not my favorite part of my job. Those people in those graves at cemeteries, they don't have a problem with choice. Dead people don't make choices. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, die, and follow me. He doesn't need help running stuff. He says to us, who do you say that I am? So, Lord, once again, you give us a very hard word, a reminder that drives us to your grace because we just miss this all the time. My prayer for myself and for us as a body here is that you would help us to see who you are in spirit and truth that we would respond to you appropriately, that you are not just a nice little religious token. But you are not our personal assistant. You don't live so that we can be happy. You come to give us life, but in order for us to get that life, we have to die to ourselves. We don't like that. We don't like that even a little bit. So as best we know how, we come and we fall before you and we plead for mercy and grace. Give us that perception of who you are that gets right down into the soles of our feet and changes how we live every day. And we would be your agents of life, but we do so fully aware that we serve at your pleasure. Make it so. Change lives today. Father, help us to see you as you really are. We pray these things in that beautiful name of Jesus. The Christ of God. Amen.